This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. Welcome to Brand and New. I am Audrey Dove. With the implementation of the phase one deal between the US and China on import tariffs, the pandemic, the new silk roads, or even current supply chain issues, Asian businesses have been navigating unprecedented circumstances when it comes to product development, marketing, distribution, and sales. But Asia also continues to inspire global leaders to step outside of their comfort zone and use innovation in new ways to expand their portfolio of businesses. While there are over 400 unicorn startups worldwide, over 140 of them are headquartered in Asia-Pacific. Asia has also continued to outpace other regions in filing patents, trademarks, industrial designs and registering domains, and it has become a top hub for high-value innovation. But what are the most recent market trends in this region from an IP perspective, and how does innovation translate in terms of trademark registration and enforcement? What are the hot IP issues that are under the radar of IP law practitioners in this region these days? Our guest today is Andy Leck, partner with Baker & McKenzie, and he leads the Intellectual Property and Technology Practice Group in Singapore. As an IP attorney practicing in Asia, Andy has more than 30 years of experience handling contentious and non-contentious matters in the areas of IP, corporate litigation and arbitration matters. He also regularly represents Fortune 500 corporations in different fields. Andy, thank you very much for joining us at Bread and You. Thank you, Audrey. Delighted to be here. So before diving into legal issues, how would you characterize the current situation for Asian businesses whose business model heavily relies on intellectual property? Well, I would characterize it as being a work in progress from both IP protection and IP enforcement perspectives, despite improvements over the past five years. I think there's a developing awareness of IP laws by Asian businesses. Many have taken steps to protect their IP through registration. There's also a growing appetite to enforce their IP rights um, in court. The Asian countries and their respective governments have also stepped up efforts and contributed to this growth of IP protection and enforcement. So, for example, the 10 Southeast Asian member states of the ASEAN Economic Committee have recognized the importance of IP regulations regionally, and they have adopted what is known as the ASEAN IP Rights Action Plan for 2016 to 2025. Quite a mouthful. And this is meant to improve regional IP protection. And this plan seeks to evaluate and promote protection mechanisms for geographical indications, as well as genetic resources, traditional knowledge, and cultural expressions regionally. There's also the establishment of the ASEAN Network of IP Enforcement Experts in 2017. And this is a formative step towards a regional IP enforcement regime. Ultimately, efforts in achieving a harmonized transnational enforcement and protection regime in ASEAN and in the wider APEC region is likely, I think, to remain a work in progress uh, for the foreseeable future. 
And this is due to the big variance in the legal systems of countries in the APEC region and the vigor with which uh, IP is enforced due to this variance. Based on your practice and the feedback you get from your clients, what do you consider their most pressing challenges, in particular from an IP perspective? Yeah, there are quite a number, and I, I will just highlight three key challenges. First, counterfeiting and piracy. During this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, many brick-and-mortar businesses have pivoted to e-commerce platforms, which have grown rapidly. And given the movement restrictions introduced by many countries in our region, the pandemic has encouraged online shopping habits of consumers. And this in turn has resulted in an increase in online infringement and counterfeiting. In addition, people have gravitated online for entertainment, such as uh, watching Netflix or playing computer games. And this has resulted in more online piracy of content. So the counterfeiting problem, I think, is very acute in APEC. In a 2019 report by OECD, APEC countries like China, Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines, and Vietnam are listed amongst the top countries for counterfeiting and pirated goods. Now, although most APEC countries are still catching up with these developments, a few like China and Singapore have moved ahead of their counterparts and they have introduced tough laws to deal with the problem. So for instance, in 2018, the Standing Committee of the Chinese National People's Congress, they passed a, a new e-commerce law, uh, which came into force in 2019 that makes e-commerce platforms operators jointly liable with third-party merchants for selling counterfeits. If the platform operator knows or should have known that a party using it, using its service, has infringed on another's IP rights on the platform but fails to mitigate it. That's one example. And in Singapore, a new Copyright Act was passed in November 2021 and that accords a wider range of protection to works, removing the distinction between works and subject matter other than works. So they are uh, leaning towards a more thematic governance regime. The second key challenge I would say would be blockchain. The emergence of the blockchain technology has uh, provided a new way for IP owners to protect their IP rights. And this is because the nature of blockchain provides a history of ownership and creation that cannot be tampered with. So it's imperative to an IP owner as it prevents disputes with respect to ownership. And the blockchain is now a useful piece of tamper-proof evidence for ownership of IP rights. This emergence of blockchain technology has also prompted banks, which are your conventional verifiers of financial transactions between parties, to invest very heavily into leveraging on blockchain so that they can stay relevant. With blockchain, banks are now no longer as crucial to verify transactions between parties, since all the users of the blockchain can serve as one collective verifying entity. This reduces uh, the need for banks on the conventional financial service. As you can imagine, this has in turn sparked the growth of IP protection over blockchain in the fintech sector. Now, the sure. third and final point is obtaining a first mover advantage in this evolving marketplace underpinned by the digital transformation over the past few years. The digital transformation has altered the way consumers consume content. The expansion of the market for virtual goods, such as non-fungible tokens or NFTs and 
objects in the metaverse. Uh, this has resulted in brands like Nike filing for trademark applications to protect their marks in categories including downloadable virtual goods like virtual shoes which feature the Nike swoosh marks. Uh, and you also have high fashion brands like Dolce and Gabbana who have launched their NFT collections. And, you know, they fetch a remarkable $5.7 million at an auction. So we're seeing entrepreneurs uh, seeking a first mover advantage from these tech developments. And they are exploring ways to protect their IP rights in this new virtual medium. Two years ago, more than 11 million trademark applications were filed globally, more than three times as many as at the start of the decade, and the vast majority of this remarkable growth has come from one single trademark register, mainland China. Uh, and applicants mm -hmm. from the, the leading eight trademark locations in the Asia-Pacific filed more than 370,000 trademark applications around the world at trademark offices outside their home register, with applicants from mainland China and Hong Kong accounting for 62% of these applications, and mm. applicants from Japan and South Korea accounting for a further 25%. As we can assume that not all of these trademarks will finally be protected, how does it translate for you from an enforcement perspective? With regard to the trademark filing trends, Audrey, I, I completely agree with you that protection efforts from Chinese and other Asia-Pacific brand owners are growing, and this reflects their ambition to expand outside their home countries. We are seeing Asia-Pacific businesses not just looking at local markets, but are becoming aware of the need for international protection. For China, this is certainly unsurprising because of their Belt and Road Initiative, which started some nine years ago. And the growing influence of China is contributing to a geopolitical shift, given that its economy is heading outbound. Now, the adoption of this global outlook for APEC brand owners in general is also influenced by digital transformation, where brand owners now find it easier to market and to sell their products on a global scale. So they are looking for ways to protect their rights, not just locally, uh, but abroad. So you are right, you can safely assume that not all of the trademarks applied for will ultimately secure registration. And as uh, registration is only a precursor to uh, trademark enforcement, from an enforcement perspective, we can therefore expect a smaller percentage of IP rights being enforced. Further, I think trademark awareness amongst APEC brand owners is, is not so fully mature, but it is still growing, as I mentioned earlier. So you will find APEC brand owners, they tend to be more cost-conscious and perhaps uh, a little reluctant to enforce their rights outside of their local markets, especially in markets they do not prioritize. Um, that, I think, is the situation for the time being. And what about the dynamics inside the APAC region? In terms of dynamics within the APAC region, we are seeing government agencies ramping up enforcement initiatives. So an interesting example is South Korea's IP office and they are launching of the what is known as the IP desk initiative. And here the Korean IP office since 2014, they, they set up these IP desks to promote IP awareness to Korean companies 
doing business overseas and in Asia-Pacific countries where the Korean companies are frequently caught in IP disputes. And the aim of this IP desk is to offer Korean companies, whether active in preparing to enter foreign markets, offer them consultations on IP protection and resolving IP disputes. They also conduct seminars to share information with brand owners on, on how to prevent infringement. On the Southeast Asian front, we see the countries also having a group called the ASEAN Working Group on Intellectual Property Coordination. This group's uh, key aim is to drive IP development in the region. And one of the key deliverables is to harmonize formality requirements for trademarks and other IP rights. There are also plans of this group to implement a regional action plan for IP enforcement, including setting up information awareness activities, clamping down on movement of pirated goods and developing a coordination mechanism between countries to enhance enforcement operations in the ASEAN. So these developments, I think, you know, display some of the countries in the Asia-Pacific region's uh, intent to develop an IP ecosystem and an IP enforcement uh, regime. Many Asian countries have been working towards enacting new revised laws regarding intellectual property rights, and we, we mentioned some of them already. Most new bills reportedly factor in technological developments that have impacted how content is created, distributed, used precisely by introducing tech-neutral concepts in order to better protect IP rights owners against all forms of digital piracy. Could you give us more insights on these reforms and what they mean for trademark and copyright owners? You are right. There's been an increasing focus on future-proofing IP rights laws, especially for copyright laws. And this has been done, I think, to cater for tech developments that digital transformation is bringing about. And there are many changes, but in the interest of time, I'll just touch on two areas where Singapore sought to future-proof its uh, copyright laws to cater for uh, tech developments. So first, um, our new Copyright Act in Singapore has introduced laws to specifically prohibit the use of hardware devices, software applications, and services that facilitate access to pirated audiovisual content. Uh, as you can imagine, with advancement in, in technology, the prevalence of pirated digital content has increased. Uh, and by pirated digital content, I, I loosely refer to the websites that stream pirated content and illicit streaming boxes. They're also known as set-top boxes or Android boxes, which are used by consumers to illegally stream these copyrighted content. So this actually ties in with an interesting case that our firm led uh, in Singapore a few years back in relation to illicit streaming devices. Before the new Copyright Act was passed, it was really uncertain whether consumers using these streaming devices were liable for primary copyright infringement. So it was very difficult to take action against the retailers or sellers of these streaming devices, your, your set-top boxes or Android boxes for copyright infringement or on the basis that their actions authorize copyright infringement. 
we we managed to successfully prosecute these retailers of the illicit streaming devices. The relevant regulators have been aware at that stage of the gaps in Singapore's laws in relation to this issue. So this finally resulted with uh, the provisions being introduced in our new laws. Secondly, in a bid to accelerate digital transformation, our new Copyright Act now permits copyrighted works to be used uh, for the purpose of computational data analysis uh, without risk of infringement. So computational data analysis refers to the processing of data from a copyrighted work to improve a computer program. So, for example, the use of images to train a computer program to recognize images. So you can see these reforms in the Singapore Copyright Act means that there's now greater certainty on the scope of copyright infringement and will make it more straightforward for copyright owners to enforce uh, their rights against infringers. Uh, in addition, allowing these computational data analysis reflects Singapore's intention to become a leading digital hub, not just an impact, but, but also globally. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. What are the, the policy initiatives that impact the IP ecosystem at a country level or at the regional level? Do you have examples? First, I think countries are increasingly focused on staying abreast with tech developments since these, since these advancements are drivers of the future economy. The IP protection afforded to these new technologies will help to draw creators and innovators of these technologies into investing in the specific country. So Singapore has recently released a new 10-year roadmap named the Singapore IP Strategy 2030. And this roadmap seeks to boost its position as a global tech hub. And the plan also envisages changes to Singapore's legal framework involving the use of big data and artificial intelligence technologies. Similarly, in Korea, the Korean IP office has announced its policy direction for measures to protect inventions produced by AI. And they are planning to grant exclusive rights for AI-created inventions only when it is under the control of a human workforce. And, and they intend to do so by revising their patent. Second, uh, some countries are keen on placing themselves on the map as providers of new IP services and as IP hubs in the region. The hope, obviously, is that they can boost their own economies by creating new high-value jobs. An example would be Singapore's efforts to leverage on IP valuation and IP financing in a bid to cement its position as an IP hub in Asia, offering a full suite of IP services. They have also invited WIPO, to set up the WIPO Arbitration and Mediation Center in Singapore uh, in 2010 so as to offer alternative dispute resolution of IP and technology disputes which the country sees will be more commonplace uh, in the digital economy. I would like to go back to what you said earlier about NFTs and, uh, and blockchain. How did the various APAC legislative systems, on the one hand, and the public authorities, on the other hand, have responded to the blockchain boom so far, if at all? Uh, 
Um, I think as blockchain increases in popularity, you know, we're seeing a number of legal issues, in particular on the regulation. And one of the issue is the ownership of blockchain technology, uh, whether it can even be proprietary technology due to the open source nature of blockchain. And several companies have attempted to protect their innovations through patenting the, the founding technology that is built upon the founding technology. Another issue is how the transaction and ownership of blockchain-based assets, including non-fungible tokens and cryptocurrency, will be regulated. In general, several countries have started to regulate blockchain-based assets or have plans to regulate them. Singapore is one such country which regulates cryptocurrency. So trading in cryptocurrencies uh, is legal and is regulated by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. The operation of cryptocurrency exchanges and public offerings or issues of digital coins, these come under the purview of the regulations. And similarly, several other countries in APEC, such as Japan, uh, South Korea, Taiwan, they have also started regulating blockchain-based assets. But on the other hand, some countries have banned cryptocurrencies uh, or blockchain-based assets. China is an example. They've declared all cryptocurrency transactions illegal. So that's effectively banned cryptocurrencies. Uh, it's also illegal over in Bangladesh. And, and there's a trend, I think, that countries which generally have a more conservative economic, social and political policy, they will adopt this ban on cryptocurrencies. In the fall of 2020, the World IP Organization appointed Singapore's Darren Tang as its <coughs> next director general. Darren Tang, who used to run the Intellectual Property Office of Singapore, is the first Asian individual to become WIPO Director General. And under his leadership, the Singapore's IPO has instituted groundbreaking improvements and innovations. Uh, the country is now number one in Asia in terms of <laughs> IP protection. What changes were made in the IP ecosystem in Singapore that could be, in your view, beneficial to other markets? Audrey, I, I must first declare that Darren is a personal friend. Uh, I'd, I want to avoid being accused of being sycophantic or putting him on a, <laughs> on a pedestal. Or, you know, that will be uh, too self-serving. True, I think Darren is, is credited for driving IPOS or the Intellectual Property Office of Singapore, for driving their path from being just an IP registry and regulator into an innovative agency. And I think this is a direction that IP regulators globally, uh, if they so wish, they can choose to adopt to try and foster a more vibrant IP scene, perhaps. In the interest of time, I, I think um, maybe I will just uh, highlight three changes brought about. First, during his term, I think Darren led IPOS to launch the world's first, uh, as far as I know, first mobile app for trademark application. And the app, I believe, was called IPOS Go, uh, IPOS, right? Intellectual Property Office of Singapore Go, G-O. And uh, the app uh, allows businesses to file their application for trademarks in Singapore directly. So the intention was to foster a reduction of filing costs and time for the consumers. Second, he was also involved in initiatives to commercialize IP assets, such as the expansion of uh, legal clinics and a new online marketplace for IP services. 
services, as I mentioned earlier, like IP valuation or IP financing. A third under is leadership. IPOS has increased the number of international engagements, and I believe they currently participate in cooperation agreements with more than 40 regional and international partners around the world. Uh, examples would include the agreements on the patent prosecution highway and uh, work sharing network. Now I have a few rapid fire questions for you, Andy. Uh, the okay. first one is an innovation originated in APAC that yeah. you believe will soon be a major hit. <laughs> okay, I, I would nominate bubble tea. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, already I thought a major it was, hit. I <laughs> uh, see, it's not quite high tech, you know, but I understand, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's gained a huge following amongst teenagers in London and Paris. Absolutely, I confirm. Uh, the main legal challenge in the near future for brand owners operating in APAC? Well, for brand owners who have yet to register their brands or their trademarks, the main challenge I think is to successfully register considering the saturation of the trademark registers now. Uh, for brand owners who have already registered their trademarks, I think the main challenge is the online infringement of their marks that I mentioned earlier. I think the anonymity of infringers and the detection obstacles are making it very challenging to enforce. A word that would summarize the last year and the one you expect for 2022? I think the word would be resilience. I think the COVID-19 uh, pandemic has brought about changes to businesses and to personal lifestyles. And my last question is the last book you have read and you would recommend. Okay, this is the honest truth. I haven't read uh, you know, a serious novel for a long time. The last book I read in 2021 uh, was called The Complete Bike Owner's Manual. <laughs> Repair and Maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that, that was the book I read. So that's my, my humble contribution to support the ESG, you know, the environment movement. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Andy. Thank you, Audrey. It's, it's um, great to speak with you. So my guest today was Andy Leck, partner with Baker and Mackenzie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, Please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.